open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we pick back up a little bit here and, and, and get back in, in the saddle, I guess, I guess it's been like three weeks since we've been out of, of 2 Corinthians and getting us back in, in the train of thoughts here. We're going to discuss one thing that we have in 2 Corinthians, and I started getting, you know you start studying a passage and you get too far down in the weeds, and you start getting too far down in the weeds, you start to say, where, where am I at here? So I started getting through this passage. I actually discovered a passage that it was that has created a lot of uh, a lot of discussion, and we'll look at some of that some of that today. We began studying Second Corinthians. Uh, we're going on chapter five now. I was, I was hoping to do it in in one year, meaning one uh, one school year per se before the summer. I don't know if we'll get through. I'm not trying to rush through. I'm trying to balance, basically, have the ability to go through a, a letter as it is intended and, and, get, and, and be able to see a letter in its entirety versus breaking it apart in, in time to where you, you have to keep reminding, okay, what is he saying, what's the context, and bringing all that together. So I'm trying to balance those two pieces. We may not be able to finish everything by the summer, but if not, it's no big deal. We'll, we'll finish. We'll probably take a, maybe a break in the summer. We'll see. But we begin studying Second Corinthians. One of the first things that really I was impressed upon me in reading this is that it's a very, a very personal letter, a very emotional letter. Uh, whereas some others of his letters are very a lot more theological, maybe technical, maybe, maybe even you would say. In this letter, he's very passionate about what he's saying. So you can sense that as you as you're reading. We know this is his. We said that this was his fourth letter to the Corinthians. I'm not. I'm not going to give you a lot of reconnecting background because we've we've been we've been through this, and I know some of you may have missed the beginning pieces. But Corinth is a is a wealthy city. It's a city. Where a lot of freedmen were established, these uh, former slaves who are now they, who are now established in society, they aspire to grow in society, and you, they're they're there with the wealthy. So you have this contrast of the wealthy and these freedmen who aspire to social status. We see also that there's a lot of gift gifted orders in in city. They were paid to give these uh, speeches and to debate, and so Paul comes on the scene with that environment. And he, he, he tries to distance himself from that. Hey, I'm I'm a I'm a um, order of the gospel, and I and he he contrasts that with these other men that are there as professional speakers. We first chapter he speaks of the God of all comfort, comforts us in all of our affliction. He speaks to the triumphal procession in chapter two, <clears throat> where he's. You know, Christ leads the, the the conquering victorious procession, and where the conquered slaves, where these slaves have been freed, speaks of the sufficiency. Uh, talks about not peddling the gospel in chapter three, then in chapter four as well. Speaks of the sufficiency, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything, but he talks about his sufficiency in the Lord. Talks about the, the glory of the new covenant in Christ. And then we walk through the surpassing power of God, that we are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So some of these powerful, very uh, passionate uh, letter and words we find in these first few chapters. Now we're going to bring – the book is broken down basically in the first seven chapters, chapters 8 and 9 where he talks about giving and then – 10 through the end of the book, through 12, where he, he addresses some of the false teachers that are still uh, in, the, in the church. So let's, we're going to have to pick up here at the end of chapter 4, even though we completed this last time. Actually, 
Actually, as, as, as you know, chapters and verses were added later to the Bible. They were added so that we can go back and find a passage more easily. It would be a lot harder to say, hey, go find, you know, for God so loved the world without chapter and verse. So chapters and verses were added from the 13th all the way through the 16th century. Very helpful. The only part that sometimes it kind of it kind of can take away from some of the flow of a letter because they have to arbitrarily break them down in certain sections. So the reason why I say that is because as you see in chapter 4, really chapter 4 verse 16 through the first 10 verses of chapter 5 is this, is this one thought here. We see how he brings this thought together in this first in the first uh, five verses that we have that we have here and we'll look at the remainder of, of uh, verses 6 through 10 uh, next week. So as we begin here, let's read this first portion here. We picked up this comment, basically he makes a statement in verse 16 where he says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Even there, just that contemplating, meditating on what that means to, for him not to get discouraged, not to lose heart. He connects it back to what he said earlier in the letter. I'm going to do that now. But he talked about the outer self wasting away, inner self being renewed day by day. Now, of course, as you get older, you get you could testify more and more to the what it means for the outer self to to waste to be wasting away. For him, it meant even more because of the persecution, because of the affliction, because of what he had been experiencing physically. So he he is experiencing that even in a greater way. He's contrasting that. Remember, because the context is they're looking at Paul. That man, you look awful weak and awful feeble. You've been beaten up. I mean, you're nothing much to look at. Not much really anything to to much look up to compared to all these. Compared to Apollos, which is such a he's skilled orator, he describes in, in, in the book of Acts as just a skilled person. So he's not much to look at, and he he comes back and exalts. He says, but I, I don't lose heart because though my outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then in the following verses, <clears throat> he's going to... Uh, use these conjunctions to give five statements, basically, that affirms why he, he makes a statement in verse 16. And so we've, we've covered the first few verses, but we're going to walk through it again since really the, there's a continuity con, of thought here. So let's look at verse 17. Self-wasting away, inner self has been renewed by day four. So the first one, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Second one here, four, verse 18, second power. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Third conjunction, verse 1, chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Fourth conjunction, verse 2, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found uh, naked. Verse 4, For a while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up. And here he's going to quote Isaiah 28, I believe. Uh, swallowed by life, he who has prepared for us for this very thing is God who has given us this, the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, we're not going to look at verses 6 through 10. I don't think I put them up here anyway. But he concludes his, his, his thought, and we'll look at that at the end of this morning, verse 9 and 10. At least put that book in for us before we pick it back up next week. So we're going we're to look at two things today. One, we're going to look at the, 
what might be a straightforward exhortation in these verses? You know, he talks about being being renewed, uh, and this it's, it's written in the present tense, right? It means a, a continual process. This fact, this aspect of being renewed day by day. Day by day doesn't just mean that we're there's daily growth. It means also growth that is renewed daily. I tell you, you know. As we walk in the Lord, right, we, we have a sense and have a need to, to be renewed. Right now, that's where I'm at right now. I've, I've gone through a long phase of having, having guests, of illnesses. My wife is not over her illnesses quite yet, which means laundry, meals. I have to stick with Chick-fil-A and whatever else, you know. I thought about you, Blue Ridge Barbecue, yesterday. There are some perks to my wife being sick, I guess. But... Uh, well, I mean, you had to go out and buy food. I mean, choose what you want. Let's pray for Jamie. Let's pray for Jamie right now. Um, but you do come. Uh, how many of you have been at the point in your life where you you're not just physically exhausted? You become emotionally exhausted. And both of those two usually are are intertwined, right? You get physically exhausted because you had this chronic illness, and with that comes an emotional ex- exhaustion that comes with that. And he describes here the this. This, this need is being renewed, refreshed, re-brought to life daily. Uh, and, and this continual process, uh, I'm reminded of that because I could, I could go through, through a passage of God's Word and, and this past couple months I've, I've seen some passages that really encouraged me. But boy, three, three, four, three, four days later, I'm, I'm, still, I'm thirsty for more. In other words, there's, there's not this, okay, this verse is going to carry me. You know, so I, I do put my day timer, I put, I put in front of my day timer when I get a new one, a verse, a thought for, not for the year, because that day timer doesn't last a year. But, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a continual need to, to go to the Word and be renewed in the Word. And what you feed on today is not going to satisfy even a week from now. You need to go to the Word daily, be renewed, strengthened day by day, growth renewed daily. He describes that. So... Paul is describing how he's being renewed in verse 16 of chapter 4. He's being renewed day, his inner self, though outwardly he's getting older, outwardly he's feeling the pain, outwardly he's suffering. He said inside, man, it's getting better day by day. And as others might see Paul as, as an old man, I put down here, the longer we serve, the more our lives will begin to resemble the crucified Christ while our inward life conforms us to the glorified Christ. Mm-hmm. So the more that we, on the outward, serve him, the more we're going to look at the crucified Christ. But inwardly, we're being conformed to the glorified Christ. So that's the, the beauty of his exhortation as he begins here, uh, already in, in this chapter, saying he doesn't lose heart. Because though everything else he's experiencing, he's being conformed to the glorified Christ inwardly day by day renewed day by day and may i may i encourage you already just in that we need daily renewal we need daily refreshing we need to be daily resourced in the word now going to church uh attending a Sunday school class where you can fellowship and and encourage one another in the word going to the service where you can be under the word all of these things are part of 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 strengthening you but even daily, taking and going to the Word, how, how essential that is to be to not lose heart and to be encouraged and to be refreshed. We're going to look at, in just a moment, these, these four 
he makes it. He makes a statement in the beginning of verse sixteen here, and then he brings these five conjunctions. And we're going to walk through these. And what I'm going to do, if the time allows us, is to discuss. You know, what what do we learn? What does he gain? Why does he make these statements as to why he doesn't lose heart? And he says he makes five statements as it pertains to that. But I want to, I want to sidestep that just for one moment because what I've discovered actually is, before we go verse by verse here in these first few verses, I actually discovered that. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10 is one of the most debated texts, most discussed texts. A lot of commentaries are written on a passage. That when I read it the first time around or first time through, of course, it's been going through this a number of times. There, is, there are some questions of what he's trying to say there, but they're, actually, they're, they're debating the question. And the question here is really as it pertains to what it says here. When do we receive our glorified bodies? Because the way he's describing it here is we'll see this a little bit later in, in verse 6 we're absent from the body present with the lord so there's a lot of discussion around okay when do we get our glorified bodies and a lot of comparisons are made with a parallel passage in first corinthians 15 which is very familiar to us so i want to take those two passages and i don't want to get so far in the weeds that we lose track of what, what he's trying to do here because actually he's not addressing the second coming here he's he's talking about the outworking of his affliction and his hope through in his affliction, but I still want to kind of address that question that, that is carried here and that is often brought up in, in this, this text. So first of all, to do that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you turn there, so obviously Paul wrote this in his first letter. And there's a lot of similarities with, with the language he's going to use in 1 Corinthians 15 and the language he's going to use in 2 Corinthians chapter Chapter 5. Again, the crux of the discussion centers around the question as to when do we go from an earthly tent to a heavenly home? At what point do we embrace that heavenly home versus the earthly tent that he describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Well, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's start with verse 42, and I'll skip through some verses so we don't read through every, every verse. Verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. One is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. One is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. One is sown in a natural body. The other is raised in a spiritual body. So he makes reference to that as well in 2 Corinthians 5. If there is, it goes on, verse 44, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam. So let's walk through that analogy, that um, picture given there. Let's go to verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and here it goes back to, to quote Isaiah, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin 
is that all but thanks be to God who gives us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing is, is simply this. You, when you're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to look in just a moment too at another passage in, in 1 Timothy, right? We, uh, Thessalonians, rather, when he makes reference to the second coming. He's describing an event here that is an event that is still to come. He's describing the, the resurrection of the body. He's describing the hope that comes from knowing that the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And this perishable body is going to put on this imperishable body and this mortal body must put on immortality. So he describes this this uh, death being swallowed up in, in victory. And then when it comes to to our passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5... He is describing the tent that we have in verse chapter 5, verse 1, being destroyed. We have building from God. Uh, then in verse 6 that we haven't read this morning, he says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith. Yes, we are of good courage. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to, I'm sorry, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what he's describing simply is two things I want to address this morning and briefly here and then come back to our to our text and walking through that. First of all, when you walk into the weeds of a passage, you can certainly be uh, – I don't want us to lose sight of what Paul's trying to teach us in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, he's projecting the hope that he has in the resurrection. Uh, he's, not, he's not speaking to eschatological event. He's speaking to the end time. Now, it's a, a, a parenthesis. Maybe some of you maybe weren't here last Sunday. But uh, Pastor is going to start a series on Sunday evening on, on the millennial. And I think in this, day, in this day and age, there's, there's some significance to that, meaning it's helpful to understand the – have a biblical understanding of the end times. There are different views on that. There are different ways of interpreting things. I think what's important is that we are able to, to go through Scripture and have what we would call a hermeneutical path to understand a text, which means, okay, this passage within the context which respects proper hermeneutics can get us to a proper understanding of what Scripture teaches about the end times. There's a lot of discussions around that. There's a lot of discussions in this class around the subject. There's a lot of discussions and balance around the subject. So we discussed about a month ago, about two months ago now, say, hey, it may be helpful to kind of pick back up and discuss what's a proper understanding what are the right parameters to understand what the end times would look like? And what are the points that we are going to agree on? What are the points that sometimes are perhaps, I'm not going to say left to interpretation, but have a different possible interpretation might be the right word. So as we, as we come to this passage here, he's, he's, he's talking about there are, there are things that are, I would say, similarities between 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One, he speaks of what is perishable and what is imperishable. He talks about one in 2 Corinthians 5, about, talk about the tent. That is obviously a description of what is perishable, what is temporary, and what is transient is the words he used there. And then, of course, the house of God, which is eternal, which is imperishable. He speaks of 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the, the natural body versus the, the one that is raised as spiritual body. Of course, he addresses that as well in 2 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 15 and First Thessalonians chapter four, I, I mentioned it here. Another very familiar passage too, which also speaks to us receiving a glorified body. And First Thessalonians four says that God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry 
of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So some, what I find interesting, first of all, when, when some have discussed these two passages they say well is, is Paul saying two different things is he saying in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's there's this future moment where we're, we're going to receive our glorified bodies all together and he says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 4 is he saying something different in 2 Corinthians 5 where in 2 Corinthians 5 gives the impression that once you once you lose your tent you receive your heavenly body so how are those things compatible with what he said before I find it interesting and I don't know how people can 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 wrap their, their arms around this part. I've heard some commentary, several actually say that that Paul matured in his understanding of eschatology as he wrote these letters. So first, that's only First Corinthians was earlier, and Second Corinthians later. So he's matured in his understanding. That's kind of hard. To, how do you mature in your God divinely inspired understanding? That seems a little bit hard to to to, to justify this this difference if difference there there is one. I don't believe obviously that. We have an inspired author that evolved in his understanding of the word. That'd be problematic. I don't think Paul's view has changed either. I don't think he's presenting a different view here in this passage. I think he's he's taken it from two different perspectives. And what's important for Second Corinthians five is the context that he's bringing into Second Corinthians five. Is not one of trying to build an eschatological map of when these events will happen, but rather fixing himself on the hope that this will happen. So he's he's pushing two different. Um, Agendas, if you will, in these two different passages. So, Paul in in Second Corinthians five is going to expand on what we already know from chapter fifteen of the first letter, and he's going to expand from what he's already talked about in First Thessalonians as far as the necessity. In First Corinthians fifteen, he speaks to the necessity of the body transformation. While in Second Corinthians five, he's he is working on the ultimate resolution and hope of his. Apostolic suffering, which means the context of Second Corinthians five is one where what you don't see in Second Corinthians five is you don't see uh, what, the, what they call perusial language. You don't see second coming language in Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five, he's talking about the the suffering that he's experiencing. He's talking about the hope that he has in that suffering that somewhere this body that's fallen apart and weakening will someday be replaced with a heavenly one, a heavenly home. And that's the hope he, he is fixated on. So he's not talking about end-time events the same way he was in 1 Corinthians 15 or in the same way he was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So what I would simply say about these two different passages is that a lot of ink has been written. Of course, you know, students of the Word, they like to write and talk about things. So they can write books about many things, right? And uh, they, they spend a lot of ink discussing, well, is this a different, is he saying something different than he was in the first passage? I don't think he is at all. I think that here in Second Corinthians 5, he is, he is speaking to the fact that his hope is that what he's experiencing now in his suffering will be, um, will be found in that being replaced with a heavenly body. He's not speaking to the time frame of that. What we do know about the time frame, and here I put down just a few thoughts on that, and I say that, and the reason why I say this aspect is all of this is going to fit into pastors' studies on the millennial and how some of these things play out. Now, if pastor says anything different than what I said, forget what I just said, scratch and reset, because pastor is is the smarter one of the bunch for sure, and so I, I trust his interpretation and understanding of the passages. But what do we know? 
about the resurrection of the body. Meaning when we die, and the affirmation, the, the encouragement he gives here in Second Corinthians 5 is that he knows that if I were to pass, I would be in his presence. And, I, and then he looks forward to a, a heavenly dwelling and a heavenly spiritual body, right? The resurrection, I put down the things that we do know, right? The resurrection of the body will occur at the end of the age when Christ returns and all of the redeemed. Piper makes his point about this is he believes all the redeemed will experience the resurrected body, the glorified body at the same time. Daniel 12 says, speaks to this. He says, well, and here's a few passages. Daniel 12, he says, go on your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your lot of portion at the end of the age. John 6, he says, uh, I myself will raise him on the last day. 1 Corinthians 15 that we just read says, in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ of first fruits and all of his coming, those who belong to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. So there is a, there is a, a time that the resurrected body will occur at the end of the age when Christ does, does return. And the second part about that is what he sees in the second part of these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8. He makes it clear the believer at death is ushered in the presence of God. So there isn't this uh, spiritual purgatory phase or there's not this, this place where we're in a holding pattern waiting uh, clearly, his his admonition here in Second Corinthians five is that we'll be ushered into his presence, and while in the presence of the Lord, we'll not receive his glorified body until his return, where he'll raise and transform them. This will be true also of Old Testament saints as well. I put I think First John three two there it says, "Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him." Because we shall see him as as he is. So there's a lot of lot of other questions that can certainly arise from uh, the question of when the believer receives his glorified body. What I would say here is that what what Paul is describing here in this passage is consistent with what he's saying in the other passages. One, two. There's not a discrepancy between you know we don't walk into a phase where we, I mean how many how many people have been encouraged by these verses 6 through 10 that says basically out of you know once uh, in death we're ushered into the presence of the Lord I mean how many of us want to be would be encouraged with the thought that in death now we go wait until everyone else dies or the Lord returns and resurrects us I mean that doesn't sound like a very hopeful speech to, to have and that's not what what Paul what Paul gives so let me ask you in, in walking through his, his five affirmations here, five statements as to why Paul does, does not lose, lose heart. Why doesn't he not lose heart? Uh, and we'll complete that thought next week with verses 6 through 10. But what do we see in our first, few, in our first statements? The first one, verse, verse 17, that we looked at three weeks ago now. Verse 17 uh, first conjunction here. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond beyond all comparison. So what do you see in, just in that verse? I know there's more in this passage. Just in that verse, what encourages him not to lose heart? Well, 
the glory that's coming. The glory that's coming. And he uses the term, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the weight. In other words, he compared earlier in the letter the weight of his burden versus the weight of the glory that is to come. They're not comparable. They're not comparable. So the, the glory to come. The afflictions, what are the afflictions? They're what? The momentary. He uses the term transient a little bit later as well. The momentary. I mean, most of us can put up with some things momentarily if we know them momentarily. And about for a moment, right? Uh, what else? It's light. It's light. Actually, the, the term is used there is light in weight because he's contrasting with the weight of glory. So the term actually is light in weight. So this is light in weight compared to what? The weight of what awaits. The one little word I like here in this verse too, he says is what? These light momentary afflictions are what? They're preparing for us. I mean, do we see what we're, do we see the afflictions that we're experiencing? They're preparing for us. They're paving the way for the weight of eternal glory that, that awaits. As opposed to we're just enduring it. Like we're just putting up with it. Like somehow we're just, it, this is something that we just have to put up with in the flesh, right? What else do we see in this verse? Well, actually, let's go to verse 18. For the things that are transient, but the things for, uh, second part of verse 18, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's the idea of transient mean to you? Some of that is transient. They're what? They're passing, which means they know where they're going, right? You're, you know, you're you're but passing. You're you're but transient. These these things are are transient. It's encouraging him knowing this this is not my final destination. This life is not all there is to live. Live your best life now. Like this is this is your best life now. This is what you've got to live for. No, he's he, he knows. His, he doesn't lose heart because he knows this is but transient because he knows his final destination. He knows where he is going. The things that are unseen, they're what? They're eternal. Well, his admonition to those who are rebuking him there or giving him more time is that you're looking at the wrong things. You're looking at what is temporary. I'm, I'm telling you to look at that which is, which is eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's, what's encouraging for him there? What statement is made to show that he doesn't lose heart? Tent. Of course, speaks to that which is temporary. One thing that is important here, I believe, is that man. Someone, someone quote. I put that on the quote. For, I don't think I put it on the screen. Let's see. One author puts it this way: he says, "Man is not immortal." Because he possesses a soul, he becomes immortal because God transforms him by raising him from the dead. He's referencing this verse because he says, We have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. His focus is on what he's receiving from the Lord. 
and of course that which is of, of eternal of eternal value. Pastor, we have put too much weight in this world and in this life, and we, when we start thinking eternal, then the temporal is just understanding it's transient. So we're not putting our weight of our own heart in something, and it's an antidote to depression, anxiety, and practical theology. So we think eternal, it doesn't allow us to dive too deep in our depression and anxiety because we know this is just transient, this is temporary. The tent, that we're, that we're thinking eternal, that's where we really live. At the end, and we're running out, running out of time, so ultimately, this understanding of what's transient, what's temporary, changes your perspective and, and what Paul is describing is the reality of, of of this perspective changes what his his desire let's just look at look at verse nine and ten and we'll we'll end with that and we'll 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 complete that next week and come back to that. Because I wanted to finish all that thought and then come back next week and verse nine of our passage, right second Corinthians five, nine says what so whether we are at home or away, at home in his earthly tent or away, he says what? We make it our aim to please him. That, I mean, that's just, he just makes a little phrase there, and you could just read it and be done with it in one second, and yet take the weight of what he's saying. Because all these other affirmations he's making about why he doesn't lose heart, because his, we're, this is a transient moment, because it's momentary affliction, because what I've received isn't made from my hands. It's made, what I'm looking forward to is what's been given to me from God's hand that is eternal. And that, that eternal perspective, and, and why? So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. And he adds one thing in verse 10 that we don't always lean in on, but I think it's also important. We'll, we'll, we'll pick this back up next week. For, for what? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, we're, we're in a very lovey, cushy, bear-huggy society. You know, we don't always want to remind ourselves that we're going to face responsibility for our lives. We're going to face judgment for what we did in the body, whether good or evil. And, uh, you know, we, we don't, but Paul is sitting up before them as all this other perspective of, of, of a transient nature uh, that ultimately, whether in the body or at home with the Lord, my desire is, is to please him. So we're going to pick, pick back up on that and kind of wrap up some thoughts around that next week, next week as well. So. Father, we we are like like Paul, thankful one for the hope that absent from the body is present with the Lord. But that Lord, whether th- these these times that we're we're living in the body, Lord, they're there to prepare us for the weight of glory to come, not as a not as something we are to endure something that we see as part of our sanctification and our growth conforming us to your likeness 
that, Lord, may our lives, as Paul was trying to help the church to refocus on the eternal, transient nature, but the eternal perspective of where we are heading, so that we his desire, Lord, in all things to please you. Lord, it is easy. It is easy to be bogged down by the daily worries, by the daily responsibilities, by the daily task, and to lose sight of where we're going. Lord, give us, give my heart. Uh, may my heart not be a discouraged. May I labor on uh, in in the hope that Paul describes here, Lord. So we commit this passage and this time to you, Lord. Bless these families in your name. We pray. Amen.